Coach Noah Revoy. Did I say that right? Noah Revoy? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Excellent. Okay. At Noah Revoy on Twitter. You're a coach. You're offer. You're a controversial tweeter. I love it. And um, the reason why I, I truly enjoy your tweets, and I agree with some of them and I disagree with some of them, but I, I see that they come from a place of uh, life, of just living life and experiencing life and not only reading books and copy pasting smart quotes, but just really seeing things a certain way and authenticity, real genuine guy. I think that's um, for me what really connected with me and I'm always interested to talk with real people. And um, so thank you for being on. Thank you very much. You know, it's funny you say you don't always agree with my tweets. I don't always agree with them either. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'm, I'm finish up a client session and I see someone suffering terribly from something that's been happening to them. That is a, you know, maybe I've seen this three or four times in the mm -hmm. same week and I get uh, frustrated and angry about a society that undermines our agency, that undermines our ability to conduct healthy lives. Mm -hmm. And I will tweet something that might be, um, you know, if, if the world has gone so far one side, I'll tweet as far as I can to the other side to try to pull things over a bit. And then sometimes afterwards I look and I say, yeah, I don't completely agree with that, but I'm not going to take it down because I think it's an honest representation of what I've said. And you have to, you can't be ashamed of what you said, even when you're wrong, you just admit maybe that wasn't correct. Or maybe I, I don't uh, emotionally agree with that thing, even if perhaps that is a viable solution. It's not the one I prefer. Mm. I get it. I get it. I definitely have that as well, especially when I started on Twitter and, you know, certain thoughts you just throw out there and then you realize, well, maybe I shouldn't tweet everything I think. Maybe I just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some thoughts are for you or maybe your direct environment of people you trust and not for the whole world to see and everybody to have an opinion on. But yeah, that's Twitter is an interesting place. Uh, tell me about where you came from. Tell me about... So I was born in Canada, and when I was younger, my family wanted me to be a minister. So I got a lot of training in public speaking, and um, I, on my own, took a lot of training in one-on-one uh, -on -one speaking, coaching, counseling, guidance, uh, mostly from a spiritual standpoint. Mm. However, that was available through the church, and I found that often it wasn't enough. <clears throat> uh, you know, the, the Bible can be a guide for a lot of people's lives but it doesn't deal with certain specific problems uh, very well, such as depression mm. or uh, dealing with modern threats to marriage. For example, there's a lot of things that just weren't contemplated mm. back at that time. And so I went and looked outside of that, you know, the, the library has wonderful books and you don't need to be an adult to go and look at them. And as a child, I would go and be just reading adult psychology books. I was reading uh, things that I felt could help me be better at helping the people who are around me. And so I just became very good at that. People started to come to me for advice and guidance. And before I was married, I had a lot of people coming to me to evaluate their, their ideas of who they were going to marry and help them try to figure out if that makes sense. And a lot of times it's not that either of the people were deficient. It's they weren't a good match for each other. And mm -hmm. so I was very good at pointing out, if you marry this person, these are the problems you're going to have. And this, this happened in part because a few of my friends, so most of my friends were a lot older than me, that, which um, because I was looking at so many mature and developed things, I ended up feeling more comfortable with people that were five or 10 years older than me. And so they got married long before I did. And so I saw some of their marriages succeed and some fail. And I felt really bad because I 
didn't always say something when I saw it going bad. Mm. And so as I got older, I, I realized if you want to be a good friend, if you want to be a good person, when you see a, a friend getting into danger, when you see someone who would take your advice getting into danger, you have to warn them. You have yeah. an obligation to do that. Yeah. Uh, it's not we're, we're not a bunch of rootless singleton individuals living in dispersed out society. We are communities. And if someone's in your community and they're about to make a big mistake, you have to warn them. You have to do it in a in a way that is respectful as well of their own uh, their own decisions and their own agency. But you're obligated to help people that are part of your community. That's what makes them part of your community. Mm. And what made you not rebel against what your parents intended for you? What made you just follow that path? Why did you think you that was the right thing to do for you? Well, I, I have a very high conscientiousness. Now, I didn't realize this till I was older. Well, well, the way it manifested is that I was very good. It, the way it manifested was around a extreme preference for truth. And that that means not just things are right or wrong, but that means following natural law rules. You know, what actually works, hmm. doing what actually works is partly why I, I supplemented the spiritual training along with uh, scientific and, and sociological training and, and uh, psycho psychological training as well mm. is because I believe that the truth encompassed all of those things, you know, the nature of the universe and how humans interact with it. And because of that, I, I really, um, I had a strong desire to follow rules. I'm mostly German in background. And so rule following is uh, part of my, my genetic people. predisposition. Mm. Yes. It's part of my genetic predisposition. And it's also in my family, we, we were Christians, but we had a familial religion. So the familial religion was the worship of truth. And we saw that as being expressed through Christianity and through the specific uh, denomination that we were part of, but the worship was of truth. Mm. And I remember my great grandmother telling me many times that you must follow truth look for what is true if people are telling you things that aren't true no matter if they're your family or loved ones uh, it doesn't matter what you have to do or what you have to suffer to stand up for truth you stand up for truth mm -hmm. truth first everything else will fall in line after that and so it was really impressed upon me that it was a worship of truth of mm -hmm. what some people would call the logos the defining principle of reality and truth in the universe And that was the familiar religion and had been for hundreds of years. My family had kept uh, diaries since the Middle Ages of what they were believing and what they were discovering. And, and also, of course, the family lineage. And they'd lived in a tribe apart from society. They'd gone to wherever there was the least amount of government. They, mm. they disliked government. They didn't like taxes. Uh, whenever they could, they'd find a place where the regime allowed them to not pay taxes. Mm. So they... For a while, they were in the kind of wilderness in the very far west you know, of uh, Europe, which is now in the, the low countries. There was areas in, that have now been reclaimed, but the swamp areas there where basically there was no government. Mm -hmm. When that started to become civilized, they moved to the Volga River area in Germany because the, that there was a period for about 200 years where German communities didn't pay taxes. They were so economically productive for the country 
that it was not necessary for them to pay taxes for them to still bring a huge value. Wow. And when that started to fall apart, they recognized the collapse of, of uh, Russian society in the early 1800s. Uh, they ended up moving to Canada. Mm. And because again, the far west of Canada was so far from government, there was no government representatives, no one came to collect your taxes. Mm. And there wasn't really much in the way of income tax anyway. And this was a, a preference they had. They they didn't want to be under the thumb of government or the thumb of a totalitarian type of church. So they were very much, um, very, uh, you might almost call them uh, a, a kind of anarcho-capitalist Christian uh, tribe. And there was you know, anywhere between, depending on the time, uh, between about 70, 80 and 150 of them uh, throughout the, the ages. And if the tribe got too big, they'd split. And if the tribe got too small, they would marry more people in. And it was, uh, you know, they were constantly marrying people and they had rules for who could marry into the tribe. Mm. So they didn't allow anyone that engaged in infanticide to marry into the tribe. And it was actually very common back then. And it's probably, their writings are probably one of the, they're not available to the public, but are probably one of the better places to see. Uh, unfortunately, I don't even have access to them right now, but to see what that was like. So they, they talked about, how common it was that people would kill their children and that if you have a couple that marry in their late teens and 30 years later they have six kids they must have killed some of them because it's just not possible to only have six pregnancies in that period of time that's crazy yeah so and they would they would specifically ask apparently women are very were historically very open to other women that oh yeah i, I had they didn't have abortions that was very dangerous people would birth the child and then bonk it on the head and say that it died in childbirth wow and this is partly why the infant mortality rate was so high, most mothers killing their children. So that was not allowed in the family because it was believed that um, that was that was an excellent sign that the people were bad mothers, mm. that, that that family had bad mothers. And so those women or the men from that other group couldn't marry in, or that other family couldn't marry into our family. You also had to be able to read. So you had to be able to read the whole Bible and explain it and ex argue what you believed to the family elders. Mm. So we had an IQ component, intelligence component. And they, they did that for about 400 years between 1600s and, uh, no, sorry, between, well, it was about 400 years ending around World War I. They, they stopped living like a tribe. And uh, partly due to the war, partly due to them joining a greater church in which they felt was like a family. And so they kind of uh, mm. dispersed and, and, and did, did their, their dispersal ended up ending the family. And the great great one great great grandmother remembers those days clearly. Yes, my my great grandparents. Uh, I never. I, I died just after my great great grandparents. Sorry, I was born just after my great great grandparents died. Mm. Um, very shortly after, uh, relatively a couple of years after something like this. But my great grandparents, um, they they my great grandmother explained to me how all of this stuff worked and because i couldn't read the books they were like these gigantic tomes and they were in mm. medieval german they were even even a modern german speaker could hardly read them it was like it would be like reading chancer uh if you're english so very very uh different from modern language and she and they, and they still spoke that kind of german right up until about the 1950s or so they were speaking that at home and then they started to switch over to speak English mostly when they moved to a, a more um, English part of the country in Canada. And they explained that, you know, there needs to be rules about who you marry. There needs, you need to have, uh, you need to set boundaries on what you will accept into your family 
Because when you pull people into your family, whatever defects they have, whatever strengths they have, that now becomes part of your family. And that'll be there forever. And it's very hard to breed that out. It's very hard to eliminate that. And no amount of training or education will overcome certain things. If you've done certain horrible things, there's sometimes there's no way to get full forgiveness for this. You know, you, you can get religious forgiveness. People can forgive you, but it leaves a mark on you that never ends. Mm. And so they were really careful to avoid what families they married into. And I think it set for me a pattern of extreme care when it came to familial and marital things. And I also saw that they didn't pass this on well enough to my parents' generation. And all of the kids in my parents' generation, except for one, ended up getting divorced mm. on that in that family. Some of them multiple times. And so it was it was a matter of not passing on those rules. And I looked and I said, look, you got you got this family, no divorces for hundreds of years. And then all of a sudden they stop following the rules and divorce after divorce. And me, the rule following brain, says Oh, got to get back to the rules again. We need boundaries on our life if we want to have a healthy life. Yeah. And they're there for a reason. And there's a lot of ancient wisdom from our ancestors that worked well from them that we can apply in our lives today. Mm. Interesting, because this gives so much, this gives me so much perspective and insight in your life and the way you tweet and the thoughts you have. And I think a lot of people, uh, they don't have that insight. So they just take those tweets on face value and they become offended by it or think, hey, you try to limit my life or my freedom or uh, you think that I'm making the wrong decisions. You're personally attacking me and my beliefs. And um, and you know what's funny? Because I saw, um, I saw a tweet you had, the controversial tweet, which just blew up completely. I think about, it was about that uh, women will be the end of, society oh it was um it went like this uh women need the boundaries of a patriarchy Mm. and uh no women need boundaries of the patriarchy and a mission in life which is usually and i said usually a husband and children Uh, there are some women that you know they become nuns they go to the church they they do something else maybe they focus on helping the other members of their family who have children that's not unusual. I, I had quite a few female members of my family were um, were full time uh, evangelizers because mm. it was a very religious family, and they never had kids because of that. But that is generally for most women what's going to make them the happiest. And we don't see that just from some uh, people will say, "Well, where, where's your study for that?" Like my study is all of human history. Mm. You know, that's that's what makes women happy. And women who are deprived of that, they can be temporarily happy in their 20s you know you have a lot of opportunity women have opportunity now they didn't have 50 years ago even however you will come back around to a point where that opportunity drops off sexual opportunity drops off dramatically for women after about 25 and after 30 the men that they can attract for sexual things goes down down through the floor Mm. and the men they can attract for marriage is pretty much non-existent and for there, there are exceptions to that. You know, um, we know women, I'm sure you do too, that were yep. in their forties and got made a great marriage, yep. but you can't live life based on the exceptions to the rule. No. It's, it's, uh, it's like, it's like Russian roulette with five full chambers and saying, yeah, but one of them's empty. I'll be safe. It'll be fine. You know, it, you, you take those kind of risks and people take the risks repeatedly. They're bound to have a bad outcome. It's just statistics. Mm. 
Yeah, and I think it's um, because the, the pylon was legendary, the way celebrities and random anonymous accounts and everybody kept the men and women, young and old, everybody came at the tweet. And I think it was, it was, uh, uh, I think the tweet was fair. It wasn't really attacking anybody. It wasn't really offending or racist or sexist. It, it was just stating that biology, you know, biology decided for women to around 22 to 28 somewhere things will happen and you will desire a family and i think everybody has that and if you don't then yes maybe you've been brought up very differently or your biology is off which could be but definitely those are exceptions i think the vast majority of women and men as well i think men as well between a certain age they need to get their ass to work i mean even yeah. rich men who are born uh, incredibly wealthy they will f live a very empty shallow life if they don't uh, commit to something physically preferably right to getting up and not in a sitting behind a desk and a computer but just getting up and doing something and providing for the people around you making sure your environment uh, becomes the, the the platform where people can thrive off and become bigger than you right your children or whatever you you build for later on but that's okay to hear from men usually. I, you know, I did another tweet where yeah. I talked about men, young men especially. Uh, older men also need a boundary from the patriarchy, but they are the ones setting the boundaries. Mm -hmm. So they're, they do have their brothers giving them boundaries as well. We all Absolutely. give each other boundaries yeah. of how we interact. We but I did one about, about young men needing the boundaries of the patriarchy or they tend to turn their masculine energy to negative things. They mm. end up with... You know, violence and criminality and and the more masculine they are the more vigorous they are the more trouble they get in if they don't have the boundaries of a patriarchy it's almost zero engagement mm -hmm. criticizing men is okay it's okay setting bounds for men is okay in society setting bounds for women is highly controversial especially on twitter which happens to have a particular set of political leanings which make it more controversial than you know, the types of things I say, I get private messages all the time of support. And I sometimes I have women who are feminists that message me and say, I'm basically they say I'm so far gone that I can't be helped at this point. But I wish that I'd heard this when I was younger. Mm. They're so invested, though, into their ideology, they can't publicly leave it mm. because every social connection they have is connected with their um, decision to be a feminist. It's kind of like those vegans that decide to eat meat again. They, they often hesitate for a long period of time, knowing their health is deteriorating, not because they're hesitating for logical reasons, but they're hesitating for um, uh, social reasons. Yes. They're afraid of the, the social backlash yeah. from changing their way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really very common on a lot of the herd mentality people, the people that are very much a part of an undifferentiated group where your personality is that you're part of that group. Hmm. Those who have a properly differentiated personality that they are who they are and their ego stems from virtues that they know they have inside of them. So it's built on a solid foundation. Those people can say the group to which I belong has been corrupted and I will now leave. Or hmm. I made a mistake joining this group. I'm going to leave. Yep. I'm out. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're an undifferentiated person, if you do not have, a good grip on who you are you can't leave because who you are is part of that group 
And that's very dangerous. That's where we get violent mobs from. That's where we get a lot of the social unrest that we're having now is people belonging to groups and they don't completely, if you separate them and you ask them, do you agree and list the specific things, they probably don't agree with half the things their group is advocating, mm. but they're loyal to the group because that gives them existence. They mm. cease to exist if they're not part of the group and they're at least in their own mind. Mm. And it's, it's really a sad thing. And this is a big part of the reason why I focus on teaching men agency and helping men and women to develop a healthy ego so that they're not dependent on that, that association with some group, which can be corrupted. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Makes a lot of sense. Now let's talk about your work as a coach, because I think it's incredibly valuable now in these days to guide young men. Um, I was lost in early 2000s when I was, or 90s, when I was growing up. And I can imagine it's way more harder now when there's so many threats out there for young men. Being it um, entertainment in the form of OnlyFans and TikTok, or being it in the, in the form of uh, groups like all these hardcore groups that are developing right now. And should I, you know, should I join these groups? Should I... Uh, find my identity there and do I find it myself and how do I find it? Where do I find it? And everything that I find for myself and that I believe for myself is controversial and I'm getting attacked for it and I'm getting rejected for it. So how does a young man find himself in these times? How do you help them with that? Yeah. You know, when we say find yourself, uh, there are, there's different people have different meanings of that, but I think the re real rational meaning of that, is to find your agency and you know when we're born we don't have any agency a baby has no agency he can't decide for himself what to do in life and so his parents his mother cares for him uh, does everything for him he doesn't get to decide what to eat everything is done for him somewhere along the line you're continuing to mature your mother teaches you the teaches you a certain level of physical agency how to clean yourself how to feed yourself all of that um, somewhere around seven or eight years old you start shifting into, uh, you actually go through, it's almost like puberty. It's a, it's a mini puberty for, for kids. And you'll notice this. My son just turned seven. And all of a sudden, he ha stops having the baby shape and starts having a, a ma more masculine shape. And he's like saying to me, look, I'm growing muscles. He's, you know, he's, he's almost shocked. He says, I, I never, there wasn't, I was all soft before. Mm. And even the skin hardens a bit and they become, uh, they're getting ready to become big, children like big boys they're not quite uh, men yet and they're not quite teenagers but they're they're on that way and they also change in their mind so certain things change psychologically for them and now they become ready to take on concepts of agency at a at a much deeper level uh it, it's now time to teach them it doesn't mean they yet have agency it's time to start that process of teaching them and that's generally a process that's done by your father and it's often aided by watching your father participate in groups which he belongs to. So, you know, maybe you see your father participate in church and mm. you see how he has perhaps a layman's teaching role in the church, or maybe you have a church where you're, you're the, um, the layman actually do all of the preaching mm. and teaching, or you see your father at his work and you see him interacting with his colleagues. This is kind of rare nowadays for most people, but if you own your own business, your kids are going to see you run it. They're going to see how you interact with your wife. You're going to see you know, interacting between spouses requires a lot of agency. 
if it's going to be healthy and happy and productive and peaceful. And honestly, the man has to be the one leading in that department um, because women tend to be more neurotic. They tend to be more uh, agreeable. So if a man has low agency, she'll tend to follow his low agency behavior as well. Mm. And if he has high agency, she will aspire to, to match him, to, to pull herself up to a level of agency that's compatible with his. So they're going to see how you behave in the world. But you have to also teach them specifically uh, how to develop their agency. And there are families that have that down to a science. The, the noble families, they had that down to a science. And where the, the teaching, where that connection between the parents, especially the fathers, and the children broke down, sometimes they would hire assistants. That, that could work if the assistant was the right kind of man. But very often that training of those young men broke down and you would see the entire noble family break down and disappear. There's no guarantee just because you have a family that's been around for hundreds of years that it's going to continue to be around and have power. That's, mm. that's predicated on the family's ability to teach their son's agency, yeah. to teach them the ability to be masters of their own selves and then ex extend that out into the world around them. Mm. Um, but for most people, if they learn agency, it's almost an accident of unconscious culture, and we don't know why it's happening as individuals. And that was okay when we had a strong culture. You had to go to church, and you had to focus for an hour or 45 minutes while someone gave a speech. Mm -hmm. That teaches your brain to control of itself. you got to think about something. Um, school nowadays is designed, broken up into these little chunks so that you never get into that flow. You never get into the, the, the discipline of agency building. You can't sit down and all day work on something. Mm -mm. If I, I'll let my son do whatever he wants most of the time when it, you know, he has some things he has to do, but he gets to choose when he does the morning, afternoon, whatever. And I'll kind of let him do whatever he wants within certain bounds. He generally picks a task and he'll stick with it for half a day. Mm. And that's all he thinks about for half a day. If, if we're if we're at home, sometimes, you know, it's an apartment, we're planning to move to a rural area uh, very soon. Um, we would have moved already, but we, we had twins a little bit ago. And it's mm -hmm. good to be really close to the hospital. We're right beside it. So of course. it's um, the ki kids will naturally tend to pick something and focus on it for hours until they master it. Mm -hmm. And then they go on to something else. School prevents that cycle. It undermines our agency. It makes it harder for children to learn to control their emotions and their thoughts and their actions. All of the things we had in society that helped us, uh, for example, it was very common in most Christian countries that there was a 40-day period of Lent where people would fast. Fasting, you, you know what you know it's like being hungry, right? You get grumpy. Yeah. Fasting for 40 days yeah. makes you grumpy. But you still have to deal with each other and you mm. still have to be in the time where piousness is a focus. So you, you can't be a grumpy, miserable, horrible person because you're hungry. You have to still continue that. You have to um, make your mind over mm. and can control yourself. And these types of experiences really are important for young men to develop their agency. I think things such as camping with your father and, you know, my dad would usually not bring enough food when we went camping. So we'd have, we'd be gone for two weeks and we'd have three days of food, maybe, maybe five days of food. And we would catch fish and we would uh, hunt and we would just be hungry the last three days, which mm. was, that was part of the experience. 
You know, if it's hungry and it's raining, you have to pack up your tents, jump in a canoe and canoe for an entire day to get back to a road and then drive for 16 hours back home. You know, this, if you can do that and you're a kid and you can be a part of that and be a useful member of that expedition, uh, everything else in life you do seems easy. That and makes that's, that's, sense, yeah. that's the whole point of tests is to make the rest of life seem easy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm I'm so happy that people like you are still deciding to, you know, voice their opinion, their experience, their truth, because I think they're being buried under a lot of noise, a lot of loud people who I'm not sure if they believe their own theories that much, but they're very loud. And they're very convincing to especially young people on the internet, you know, in the video game culture um, and uh, TikTok culture and Instagram culture, Twitter culture. All these subcultures on the internet are very, very, very extremely left. And yeah, these little kids are being, you know, basically, and I, I don't think there's a big problem with being leftist, but this... They're only being exposed to this one belief, to this one truth, that there's nothing else out there. And anything else that is out there, they have to be wrong. Right? They're probably not completely healthy or okay or hateful or angry or sad. Right? Um, so I'm happy your voice is out there. I'm very happy. We should really, I mean, we got we to gotta talk a lot more. I really need to learn well, more. You know why those messages are so popular? Go ahead. It's because it's pain speaking to pain. There's a lot of young people today who they're in a lot of emotional and pain and they're in a lot of um, emotional psychological pain because there's a lack of fatherhood investment in young people. And you'll notice most who are attracted to these messages do not have a good connection with their father or their father himself is weak, in which case he can't give fatherhood investment because he's essentially an adult child. Um, So you have those two problems and young people who don't feel the strong masculine presence of a if a father that they can trust they are in a lot of pain they feel left out they feel they are suffering because they're not getting what they need uh, there's also you'd be surprised how many people their diet is so bad that their body is literally thinking that it's starving to death for micronutrients mm. meanwhile they're overweight you know you get this combination between them being overweight and starving for nutrients and that really affects them as well uh, our body will literally think, hey, I'm, I'm getting treated poorly here. And that causes emotional pain as well. If you don't treat your body well, it causes emotional pain. And so you have pain crying out to pain and responding. Mm. The problem is they get into this downward spiral where instead of you're in pain, here is the path to ascendance and out of your pain. No, it's you're in pain. Here is a hole you can wallow in in your pain. Because you can use that energy they have, you know, they're they're like vampires. They use that energy uh, from these these people who are in pain to accomplish goals they have, and it's not often the ones who are speaking the message. They're often also in pain themselves. It's Mm. the ones managing the ones speaking the message. Uh, You know, one one or two levels up from that that are really using these people. And one thing that I notice is I, I can only have a few clients a week. You know, I have limited amount of time. I'm a single person. And there's, there's other good people out there like you as well that can help young people. But you need to figure out, how, we all need to figure out if we have a good idea how to amplify it. And I've actually created a course uh, and written a book. We're just finishing up the 
uh, the graphical part of the book, making sure it looks well, uh, should be done. I hope this weekend. Awesome. I said that a few times and it wasn't done yet, but um, it's a team effort. So it's, it, we all have to work together and, and finish it. And it's going to be a course that I can teach people how to teach that course. And it's to develop agency in young men mm. as young men develop agency that changes how they interact with the world, which changes how the world interacts with them. The world interacts with you the way you allow it to interact with you. You know, men who think all women are trash are interacting with the world in such a way to attract trashy women and push away good women. And the same with women that think men are like that. And generally we're getting from the world what we're allowing the world to give us. Mm. And so by teaching men agency and teaching them how to control what they're being exposed to and what they're doing in return, we change the world itself. Uh, people react to incentives. Women will change when they see that men's agency on average starts going up. They start to change in response to that. A lot of the uh, excessive masculinization of women comes apart, comes about as a result of them not seeing enough masculine men around and worrying for their own safety and therefore masculinizing themselves because, hey, I don't have no man. I don't need no man anymore because I'm now half a man myself, you know, type thing. And it's it's a reaction to a lack of masculinity. That's why more masculinity in the world is the solution for most of the problems that we have. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I like that. Great story. Thank you. At Noah Revoy, is that right? Is that your Twitter? And mm -hmm. where can they find you? What else can we reach you at? I'm going to be changing my website to noahrevoy.com uh, uh, because the, the old acronym is talking about the sexual market. And I think that it's important to divide that into the sexual market and the marriage market as separate mm -hmm. things. And I'm more interested in addressing the marriage market personally. Um, I think that's where we create the future of humanity is within the marriage arrangement. We, we create humanity, literally. So I, I'm more interested in helping people with that than helping them uh, find sex in the sexual market. There's people that will help you with that. I'm going to help you get married. Awesome. And stay married. <laughs> Good to hear that. So the website is going to be uh, mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And they can find you at... And already if you type that in, it'll it'll uh, redirect to the, to the website I'm using at the moment. Excellent. Make sure you reach out to uh, Coach Noah Revoy. Thank you for your story. And we really need to do this again. I got so many other questions, man. I'm, a, I'm love to talk to you again. No problem. Thank you very much. You're a great interviewer. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Have a good day.